day to celebrate, Lord, and uh, we are honored and blessed to have so many people come up from Florida to celebrate with us, and from Pennsylvania and all over, and uh, Massachusetts, and uh, we are grateful to you for this time. We pray that your word would be honored today and it would be received. Uh, Those that aren't believers in you would receive your word and it would penetrate their stony hearts and it would produce fruit in their lives, Lord, and they would worship and honor and serve you. I'm uh, grateful to be part of this place. I'm honored to be with my brothers and sisters here. I pray that you'd be with my brother today as he preaches your word. Help us to be attentive to uh, what he's preaching. Help it to uh, uh, penetrate our hearts, Lord, and we may apply it and live in such a way in this valley that we win people to you. And uh, we bring glory to your name through this place. And thank you so much for my uh, the church down in Florida, Cornerstone. Uh, what a blessing they are to us. And we pray for them and the leadership down there. Pastor Mark, Pastor Mike, Pastor Dale, Pastor Jerome. And I'm, I think I'm missing somebody, but I'm just grateful to their, their friendship to me and um, my pastors, Pastor Rick and Pastor Keith. I pray that we continue to grow that friendship for many more years to come and that you would protect them, protect these men, Lord, uh, in, a, in an age of, uh, like Pastor Rick was saying, the feminism and the feminization of men. So I pray that you give us backbones of steel, that uh, we would uh, stand up for your truth. Uh, and we love you, Lord, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, again, I'm Pastor Rick. Uh, Pastor Mike has been an elder at Cornerstone four years now? Four years. And he is married to Nancy. He has five beautiful children. And uh, I love Pastor Mike's preaching. When the opportunity opened up to, to have this service um, for, for many reasons, uh, um, his, his influence on Logan and his uh, relationship with the Joneses and uh, our love for him, I figured, yeah, he's, he's the guy to come and uh, preach this sermon. So if you would please give your attention as he opens the word for us. All right. So that's good to wake you up. I was concerned. I heard that you guys usually stop around 12 o'clock, and I'm starting at 12 o'clock, so just want to make sure you're awake. Yeah, so like Pastor Rick said, my name is Michael Dinger. I serve as one of the pastors at Cornerstone Baptist Church in uh, Orlando. I've known the Jones family for over 10 years now. I've served alongside of them for most of those years at Cornerstone Baptist Church. I'm very grateful that Pastor Rick uh, invited me to come and to preach the Word of God and to be a part of this, this ordination. I'm very grateful to be here, very grateful to preach the Word of God to you. So if you will, turn in your Bibles uh, to 1 Peter, 1 Peter, and we'll be in chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to hold it down. Oh, you're going to need them, okay. First Peter chapter five. First mm-hmm. Peter chapter five, verses one to four. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Amen. Amen. This is the very Word of God. Every word is faithful and it is true. Let's pray now before I preach. Let us pray that the Lord would come to us now, visit us through the preaching of the Word, that He would deal with us and that He would bless us. Oh, gracious Father, You are God 
There is none like you, O Lord. I humble myself before you. We thank you for this Lord's Day. Thank you for allowing to be together in this place to worship you. We thank you for your word. It is a light unto our feet, a lamp to our path. And we pray now that you would work by your Holy Spirit. Lord, be honored, be glorified as we turn to the testimony of the Scriptures. As we sit at your feet, Lord, teach us, instruct us, encourage us. Restore us up to love you, to worship you, to serve you faithfully in this fallen world. In Christ's name, amen. Now as we begin this morning, it is crucial that we begin at the right place. It would be very easy while preaching an ordination sermon like this to immediately begin speaking about the office of the elder about the various functions of a pastor, overseer. And then from those truths to just start exhorting you and to exhort the pastors to what God has called them to do. But that would be all wrong. That would not serve you very well. It would not be helpful to you. If I laid Upon you all of the weight of your responsibilities, their various tasks, without giving you some encouragement and motivation to labor in such a necessary and unnatural way. It would be like calling you to make bricks without giving you straw. When considering the toil of the church... This labor and striving must be done in the light of the goodness of God and in the power that He supplies by the working of His Spirit. He has been so good to this church, brothers and sisters. Ponder, just ponder for a moment that there are actually true believers gathered together in this place, that there has been planted a gospel church in this valley. And now, there will not only be one man serving as a shepherd and overseer for your souls, but two. In these things, we should see and rejoice that God God is at work. God is at work. And we should marvel that that we get to see with our own eyes and to personally take part in the awesome reality. The gracious and mighty work of the Lord Jesus Christ in this fallen world. That we would be able to see it with our eyes. That we will be able to hear it with our ears to take part in it with our hands. The head of the church is doing something here that no man is able to do. Something here that no devil can destroy. Something that he promised long, long ago to do. He is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We all ought to have the words of the psalmist in our hearts. That this is from the Lord. And it is marvelous in our eyes. I pray that that is your heart. I pray that that is your heart. That does not say anything about us. That says everything about him. Whenever we consider gospel ministry, when we consider pastors, when we consider consider gospel churches, it ought to direct our hearts to the Lord, for He is the one who does it. He is the one who saves sinners, calls them out of darkness into His marvelous light. He is the one that gathers them together. It is amazing to see how God, when He saves people, how you hear of the windings, of those roads that God has led those people through to faithful churches. Amazing to see that. That's the work of God. 
no church growth plan can do what God alone does. He is the one who raises men up, who qualifies them with vital holiness and gives them the gifts to serve in gospel ministry. He does that, and it is marvelous in our eyes, and we do not deserve it. We do not deserve this. this. That's not a reward. That is not payment. That is all of his grace. We do, not, we do not deserve to know him. We do not deserve to be a member of a gospel church. We do not deserve to be cared for or to be shepherded by people who love our souls. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. That should be in our hearts when we think of these things. This is what he gives. It's what he does. That's where we must first begin. That is where you must first begin when you think of these things. The pastorate, the life of the church, the labor, the toil, the suffering, the self-denial, the sacrifice, the service. It's only when we receive by faith and meditate on the free grace of God in Christ to sinners like us. It is only when we understand our utter unworthiness of the least of His mercies and come to realize the exceeding kindness and love of God towards us who believe that we will be encouraged and empowered to serve as we are called to serve with joy whether it be as shepherds or as sheep. All of these things will make very little sense to you and little significance to you if you do not consider them in the light of Him who loved the church and gave Himself up for her. We need to be reminded of the fact that He gave. He gave. He is the one who gives And that's the title of the sermon this morning. He gave. And it'll fall under four points. He gave his life. He gave shepherds. He gave his sheep. And he gave gifts. He gave his life a word concerning the Savior. He gave shepherds a word concerning the office of elder. He gave his sheep a charge to the pastor's. And he gave gifts, a charge to the congregation. The first two points are going to be more instructive in nature. And the last will give priority to the practical application of those truths that we hear. So first, he gave his life, a word concerning the Savior. Look at at 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter, as the apostle, is writing to churches dispersed through what is today called the modern land of Turkey. This letter was to be read in the hearing of the whole church. And in chapter 5, he begins to address those who were called to be pastors in their respective congregations. And he comes to them, not as the most reverend apostle Peter, not as the first pope and vicar of Christ Peter, but he shows himself humbly to be one who is a fellow elder. Not a super elder, not an elder among elders, but an equal in regards to the pastoral ministry. A fellow elder. And from there, Peter could have gone immediately to charging the elders with their duties, but he doesn't do that. And I believe he doesn't do that for a good reason. It is as if Peter would have his fellow elders to first be reminded of their Savior of his blood shedding on the cross and on, of his coming again on the clouds of glory. Right? He says, I, your fellow elder, 
a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Peter was an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ. For three, year, for three years he walked with the Lord. He sat under his teaching. He saw those great drops of blood as he prayed in the garden. He saw his tears. He was taught to pray by the Lord Jesus Christ. He sat down and ate with him. He was there at the supper when the Lord's Supper was instituted. He witnessed his betrayal, his arrest, his beatings, his bruisings, and ultimate, ultimately, he knew his precious Lord bore his many sins, even his denial three times in his own sinless body on the tree. How Peter, right, as an elder, how Peter must have been helped in his labors as an elder by remembering the sufferings of his Savior. And he would have his fellow elders to do the same in order to be encouraged in the work, the awesome work that the Lord has given them to do. He gave his life on the cross. His precious blood was poured out there on Calvary to save his people from their sins. For them, he purchased a full redemption. And on the third day, he rose again. And Peter was there when he ascended into the heavens on the clouds of glory. From there, he will return to deliver those who patiently wait for him. Peter was there. He saw it. And he probably could remember the sound of the voices of the shining ones that said to the disciples when Jesus ascended into heaven, Why do you stand here gazing into the sky? This same Jesus that you saw ascend into the clouds, will likewise return. As if they were saying to them, then get to work. He's coming back, get to work. And Peter also was aware of what Christ had called him to do. What I'm doing right now is I'm, I'm showing you that Peter knew what he was talking about. When he exhorted, he knew firsthand what it was to be an elder. Because he was called to be an elder. You remember how the Lord Jesus Christ, when he, he called him back, that, that he called that fisherman from his wandering, and he said to Peter three times, Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And, a lo- and affirming his love for his Savior, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And he was instructed by the Lord, If you love me, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. Peter knew he was an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ and he knew it was for him and for his soul and salvation. And he knew the inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, that was reserved in heaven for him. And he knew the work that he was given to do and that he was accountable, that he was accountable to his master for it. These things moved Peter to labor, to labor in the ministry. They motivated him to love and care for the flock of God. They gave him strength. These truths gave him strength and joy, the strength and joy that is necessary to serve well as a pastor. My brothers and sisters, whether you are a shepherd or a sheep, These things ought to also be upon your mind and in your heart constantly. The sufferings of Christ and the glory that will be revealed. What Christ suffered and endured for Peter, he has done for you who believe. The glory that Peter partook of while on earth and will enjoy for all eternity in heaven, you too have begun to experience in Christ and will one day drink up to an ocean fullness. The call to pick up the cross and to follow Christ daily that Christ brought to Peter as he was standing there with his nets, he has called every one of us to deny ourselves, to follow him if we would be his disciple. The stewardship of Peter to be an elder, to care for the flock, 
the flock of God purchased with his own precious blood has also given, been given to his own fellow elders. In order to be faithful, to be encouraged, motivated, and to answer our various callings, we must often be reminded of and meditating on what he gave for us. He gave his life for us. And two, he gave shepherds a word concerning the office. So we know that Peter's exhortation is to the elders. He's admonishing those who have been placed by the head of the church, Jesus Christ, in a position of a official authority in his church. Pastors, people running into the pastoral ministry, churches, preaching, caring for the flock is not something that men have the right or authority to determine or do in and of themselves. It is something that Christ does as the head of the church. He is the great authority of the church. Any church that doesn't recognize that Jesus Christ is the head of the church is not a church. Is not a church. He is admonishing those who have been placed by the head of the church, Jesus Christ, into a position of official authority in his church. It's not something that man takes to himself. It is important here to note that there is only one position of official authority in the New Testament church. There is only one ruling office. The office of, of, a, of a deacon is an office in the New Testament church, but is, it is characterized as a serving office. That's not to say, like Fernando was asking this morning, that's not to say that the pastor doesn't serve. If a pastor doesn't serve, he's not a pastor. He's really not. He may be a pastor in name only, but he is not a true pastor. A pastor is a, is, is a servant of Jesus Christ and a servant of the flock of God. But there's only one ruling office. There's only one ruling office, and that is the office of an elder. All, uh, the office of the elder, this is important, the office of the elder is referred to by several different terms in the New Testament. Those terms are pastor, overseer, shepherd, and elder. Pastor, overseer, shepherd, and elder. And the word for pastor is also translated, excuse me, the word for overseer is also translated as bishop in one place. All of these words, pastor, overseer, shepherd, bishop, elder, they speak of the same one ruling office in the church. If you read your Bible, you will see that these words do not speak of different official positions in the church. They, they do not speak of a hierarchy of authority or importance in the church. They all communicate something about the one ruling office and the work of the man of God. There is no such thing as a senior pastor and an associate pastor in the Bible. Amen. There is no such thing as a main pastor or a head pastor. There is no such things as cardinals or popes or ruling presbyteries. No. There are elders. Elders. A brief example of the interchangeable use of these terms is found in Titus 1. Titus 1, 5-9. The Apostle Paul is instructing Titus of how to organize the churches in Crete. And he says in verse 5, so Titus 1, 5, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and to appoint elders. Appoint elders in every town I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Then he says, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. So he says, all right, what you need to do when you get to Crete, you appoint elders. They need to be qualified men. And an overseer 
ought to meet these qualifications. The word overseer and elder is using, being used interchangeably, one in the plural, appoint elders in the churches throughout Crete, but every single individual elder or every single individual overseer is to meet these qualifications. Those three, those three main terms, elder, overseer, and pastor, have different Greek terms. Elder is presbyteros, overseer is episkopos, and pastor is poimen. If you look at 1 Peter, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, this is a very good text of Scripture to see how they are used interchangeably. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, he says, so he says, I exhort the elders among you. The elders, the presbyteros, as a fellow elder, and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. One noun, elders, one noun, elders, presbyteros, that is, and, and then he goes to describe the work of the elder, he goes to describe the work of the presbyteros by using the verb form of overseer and pastor. What is the work of an elder? to be an overseer. What is the work of an elder to be a pastor? They are interchangeable right here in this text. Basically, an elder is to shepherd, and an elder is to provide oversight in the church of Jesus Christ. They are not different offices. They are not different. um, It's not a structure of authority or importance. They're all speaking of the same one. And it's helpful to think elder... You can use, you have an elder and an overseer, and you have a pastor or shepherd. Um, Poimain is translated pastor or shepherd. So a pastor and shepherd is the same Greek word. So you can, you can have someone, an elder, who is an overseer, who is a pastor. But here in, here in Peter, it's very important. What he's doing is he's using the, the term, the noun, elder and then he describes the work of the elder basically they are to shepherd they the work of the uh, elder is shepherding the work of the elder is providing oversight for the church and and the only the only place it's usually it's usually poimen is usually translated shepherd and the work of the poimen is to to be shepherding or poimino but in Ephesians 4, the word pastor is used. When Christ ascended into heaven, he gave gifts to men. And one of those gifts are the poimen, the pastor teachers. Okay, So this, this only reinforces that statement of truth. So you could, you could believe it because I said it. But I want you to see it from the Bible. I want you to see it from the Bible that all of those, you may have had an associate pastor from when you were little growing up in the church. You may have been a Presbyterian when you, from a little church and have like a synods and presbyteries and everything like that. But when you look at the Bible, or you may have been a Catholic, and you see this hierarchical structure of, of popes and cardinals and bishops, but when you go to the Bible, there's one office. I want you to see that from the Bible. Okay. So let's move on to consider the duties of the elder. The duties of the elder. If there was anything that the office of an elder could be likened to in the mind of God, and therefore in the mind of the apostle Peter, it would be akin to the work of a shepherd. He exhorts exhorts his fellow elders, shepherd the flock of God. A command, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. The relationship between a shepherd, a pastor, an overseer, and the members of the church or the, the flock of God is like the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. But what is that relationship like? What's it to be like? And what is the governing principle? What is the governing principle that should undergird that relationship between the shepherd and the sheep? 
to, to understand the answer to that question, many people take trips to distant lands where they sit down and they watch modern-day shepherds with their flocks, and then they bring all kinds of baggage to the Bible. If we're, go- if we're going to understand what the relationship be- there are, there are books and commentators that speak about the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep and what they've got as their basis of judgment is seeing a bunch of Marlboro smoking shepherds sitting on the hills of Ireland. That is not where you figure out the truth of what that relationship is to be like and what undergird, what's the undergirding principle of that relationship. You're going to go to the mind of God. You're going to go to the Scriptures you go to the scriptures, because in the scriptures, that is where we will see the chief shepherd of the sheep. That, when you think of what a pastor ought to be, there is a chief shepherd to look to. Your pastors should remind you of the chief, not of your imaginations about what the chief shepherd should be like, but what the Bible says the chief shepherd is like. The author of Hebrews says concerning you who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ that you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It is Christ. He is the chief shepherd. He is the great shepherd of the chief. He is the archepoimen, the preeminent shepherd. And he's the pattern. He is the pattern for all of his under-shepherds. All of those who have been called into the ministry of the gospel as pastors, he is their example. In, 1 John, I mean, me, in John chapter 10, Jesus himself explains what binds him to his flock and what he does, what he has done as the good shepherd for his flock. He says, In verses 11 to 15, John chapter 10, verses 11 to 15, the Lord Jesus, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing. For the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Here, the Lord Jesus Christ makes it plain what it is that binds himself to his people. He is not like the wicked religious leaders of his day who cared nothing for the sheep. They sought only the advance of their own kingdom. They were consumed with self-interest and refused to look after the welfare of the flock. They were not concerned with the needs of the people, with the sufferings or the safety of the people. They would not. They could not because they cared not for for the sheep. They cared not for the flock. They did not love them. They did not love the sheep, but the good shepherd loves the sheep. It is the true and sincere, the true and sincere loving care for his sheep that binds himself to his people. It's love. That is what binds the shepherd's heart to the sheep, and the sheep's hearts to the shepherd is love. True gospel, biblical love. Not, I heard that for the first time, not all love is love type of love. But biblical love, sacrificial love, laying yourself and denying yourself love. He says, he knows them. He knows them. He knows how vulnerable they are, how prone to wonder and go astray. He knows their strengths and their weaknesses. He knows their struggles, their sufferings, their greatest needs. And he cares for them. He knows them all by name. The great shepherd, the chief shepherd, knows them all by name. Every one of them that the Father gave to him, he loves. He loves them with an everlasting love. 
He loves them with a self-denying and sacrificial love. And because he loves them, because he loves them so, he died for them. He died because he loved them. He did not run away like the hireling when he saw the wrath of God coming and the awesome weight of all their sins to be laid upon his shoulders. He did not run for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. He endured the cross. Nobody took his life away. He laid it down himself. He said, I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. He's bound to them by love. He gives himself up for his precious people. To love and to sacrifice lies at the very heart of what it is to shepherd. And there is no greater love than the love of Christ for his own flock. He says in, first, in John 15, 12-13, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has none than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That is love. Point three. That, that really undergirds everything. That gospel truth. If you try to do church and that is not what the church is built on, gospel, love, the walls will come down. It will fall up. It will erode. It will wash away. Three. He gave his sheep a word to pastors. My brother, the great shepherd and overseer of your soul has entrusted you with his flock. He gave his sheep. I charge you in the sight of almighty God and to you, brother, in the sight of Almighty God who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing. In the light of all that the Lord has done in saving your soul and according to the manifold mercy of God that fills your redeemed life and considering the indescribable love that He has for His own sheep, I exhort you as your fellow elder, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you to do, not for shameful gain. There will be temptations, all kinds of temptations, to do that. Fight that by the power of the Spirit. By the power of the Spirit, fight that temptation, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over them in your charge but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. As an under-shepherd of Christ and a steward of God, follow the pattern that your Lord Jesus has laid down for you. Give yourself up for the sake of the flock. God has served you, God has called you to serve these people willingly and sacrificially as their pastor. The particular, in particular, it is the work of the shepherd to one, feed the flock, two, watch over the flock, and three, to lead the flock by your own godly example. First, feed, feed, feed the flock with the word. You are called as a pastor to labor in the preaching and teaching of the word of God. Give yourself, therefore, give yourself to the prayerful study of the scriptures. You must be in the word and the word must be in you if you are to answer the call of Christ to feed his lambs and his sheep. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Jehovah, the great shepherd, what does he do for his sheep? He brings them into nourishing, wholesome fields for their souls. And it is the work of the shepherd to nourish and strengthen his flock with sound doctrine and practical application. 
When you are given the opportunity to teach and to preach, embrace it. Don't shy away. Don't shy away from it through fear and unbelief. This work of feeding the flock, he has called you to do as an elder. It is what he has called you to. In order to prepare, I know what it is. I know what it feels like. I know the trembling. I know the turmoil of soul, the late nights, the sacrifice to do that. Remember, this is what he's called you to. And it is marvelous. It is the best thing. It's the best thing for the shepherd. It is hard. It is laborious. It can be wearisome. That's why you have to remember him. Remember his love for you. Remember what he's done for the flock. Remember what he's called you to. In order to be able to prepare for such opportunities, you will have to make sacrifices. There will be things that you were once able to do that you will no longer have time to do. And praise God for it. It is much, it's, it, I, I'm not a gambler, but I, if I were, I would put money on this work being much more better for you than what you probably spend other time doing. At least that has been my own experience. I bless him for that. There will be nights where you cannot sleep. Conflict. Because of that awesome task, you've already begun to taste it to some degree. The awesome task that you have been given to stand as a sinner. A redeemed sinner, but a sinner no less to preach the word of life to people who will once soon die and stand before their maker. There will be seasons where your weakness will be so evident that it feels as though you can't even go on. You just want to give up. A weariness that on your own you will not be able to overcome. And you will have to wrestle with your God and seek his face for grace and the blessing. You will regularly have to fight and struggle against the flesh, which will incline you to laziness in the work, to waste time with many other worthless endeavors, to leave off the disciplined and diligent study of the scriptures. And you must put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit and stir up the gift that is within you. Be ready in season and out of season to preach the word of God. This is the work that he has called you to. And secondly, you are to watch over the flock. You, my brother, you are to know the state of the flock. Exercising oversight with all diligence, you're called to be aware of the needs of your people, their struggles, their sufferings. You're, you're to sincerely care for them. You cannot turn a blind eye to their needs, to their sins, to, to their graces. You're to make, take, make note of them. And to serve them in every, any and every way that you can to build them up. They must see that you truly love them. They must see that you truly love them. The world and the flesh and the devil are constantly seeking to lead your sheep astray. There are savage wolves that would seek to devour him. There will even be wicked imposters within the church. Spots in your love feast that will secretly bring in destructive heresies and to try to gain disciples unto themselves and lead your people away from the truth. I warn you, like Paul warned the elders in Ephesus, you have to know, you must be on watch, be on guard. The rod and the staff of God's word he has given to you to correct those who contradict the truth and to restore and to bring back those who have been carried away captive by deceitful lusts. And just be admonished by the indictment of the worthless shepherds in Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, 1-4, the, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should you shepherds not feed the sheep? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones. But you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. 
The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not... The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. My brother, being a faithful shepherd is a hands-on job. It is a hands-on job considering the flock that is among you. How will you know who is sick, who is weak, who is injured, who is lost, who has gone astray? How will you be able to, to exercise oversight as God, as God has called you if you don't know, if you don't know their flock, your flock? And when you become aware of such maladies, you, you must not be idle. Don't wait. Don't wait for the glory of God and the sake of your conscience before God. Do not wait. See that you do not despise any of the little ones. And then what does it mean to despise? To treat, it, treat them as of little value. Jesus said, I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one who has gone astray? Pay careful attention to the flock. The Holy Spirit has made you an overseer to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Take courage. Be vigilant. For one day you're going to give an account. You're one. It should cause trembling, but it should cause you to run to him, to run to him, and to trust in him, and to cry out mightily to him. And follow, finally, brother, you are to lead the flock by your example. The Apostle Paul in, the, in, in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 to 12, he, he, ref, he refers to his conduct amongst the people as something that was exceedingly powerful in his gospel ministry to their souls. He says, we were, he, we were gentle among you, among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And so being affectionately des- desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. The preaching the exhortations, the pleading, and the entreaties of the apostle were reinforced and carried with them a weightiness with the people because they were able to see that he practiced what he preached. Your example is crucial when it comes to your ministry as an elder. One of the best, if not the best thing that you can give to the flock that is among you, is your example of vital godliness. They need to know and see your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to know that you have been in his presence, communing with him in his word and in prayer. They need to see your love for the lost. They need to see your sacrificial love for your wife and for your children and how you lead them patiently to love and serve the Lord your God. They need to know that you truly care for them and that you're not only willing to stand up here and impart to them a Sunday school lesson or a sermon, but your own self, your own blood, your own sweat, your own tears for their good. They need to see that. When we think of what God has called us to, our hearts should say, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? Praise God. Praise God. He makes us sufficient by His grace, by His Holy Spirit. He makes us sufficient. Remember the love that Christ has for you, brothers. Remember how He loves His sheep. They are the apple of His eye. Remember what He has called you to be and be faithful. And be faithful. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive from him the crown of glory. And now the final, final point. Four, he gave gifts. A charge to the congregation. Christ the King Reformed Baptist Church. This morning, your hearts should be filled with thankfulness to Christ. 
You, sh- you should. You should rejoice. Not only has he secured your redemption by his blood, as if that were not enough, he has given you another elder to shepherd your soul and care for you. Be grateful. Christ gives gifts to his church. He gave gifts. Ephesians chapter 4. When the ascended Christ, when the crucified, risen, and ascended Christ sat down at the right hand of the Father, he gave gifts. And he gave some to be pastor teachers. Pastors are a gift from God. You must be instructed and reminded that you also have many duties given to you by your Lord concerning the shepherds that he has put over you in the Lord. Our duties towards our pastors will only be fulfilled to the degree that we regard them and receive them as gifts from our risen Lord. It's, it's, sometimes it's hard to remember that. Sometimes it's hard to remember that. Sometimes it seems like they're just always in your business. Sometimes it seems like they're always stepping on your toes. Sometimes it seems like they're always calling you to go harder and to do more. That's exactly what you need. That's exactly what I need. They are are gifts of God to the church. They are a, a sign and token of His great love for you. He has given us these gifts to lead us if we will be led to care for us if we will be cared for, to love us if we will be loved, to instruct us if we will have the heart to be instructed, to correct us. They're sent to bless us if we're going to be blessed. But the relationship between a pastor and the flock is not a one-way street. It is not a one-way street. I want to remind you of four responsibilities that church members are obliged to concerning their pastors. One, to joyfully submit to their scriptural authority. Two, to esteem them highly for love's sake. Three, to give all diligence to attend to their ministry. And four, to earnestly pray for them. Let's just give a brief consideration as we close to these four responsibilities. So then, one, we're called to joyfully submit to our pastor's scriptural authority. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 16 and 7. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this. That is, let them give an account with joy and not groaning. For that would be of, no, excuse me. Let them do this. Let them rule, right? Let them rule and watch over you in a way that brings them joy, not with groaning. You, are, you do not have a specific ministry like whatever that thorn in the flesh for the apostle Paul was to be a thorn in your pastor's side. No, And how do you do that? By joyfully following behind them in the ways of God. That is how you do that. You submit to them. Regardless, regardless of the gross abuse and of authority by wicked men, there is a proper and sacred authority which the office of elder is endowed with by the head of the church. Many, many people, they think, oh, I forget about church. I No, I'm not going to go to church. They're all hypocrites. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are many blind guides and hypocrites that fleece the flock, that shut the kingdom of heaven up against people. But that gives us no right to reject the God-ordained authority of biblical shepherds. It doesn't. The relationship between the authority of the pastor and the submission of the flock is to be founded also on mutual love. You submit because you love him, because you are thankful to God for him. 
because you have confidence and you esteem one another. When your pastor, and so I'm being very specific now, that I'm not saying that you just go and follow a man wherever he's going to go. The highways and the byways, no. He has, like I said, he has a scriptural authority. That means there are parameters to his authority. And that is the Bible. Scriptures delineate the parameters of the pastor's authority. So, when your pastor stands to teach and preach in any capacity, his words should be received. If they are true to the scriptures, they should be received not as the words of men, but as they are the very word of God. And you are to receive them with humility, reverence, and obedience. We owe to our pastors joyful submission. We are indebted to Christ to give them joyful submission. And everything in you, in your natural old man, as a believer, you have the flesh, you have the old man, the body of death that is constantly trying to go against the grain of that. And you have to yourself also put to death the deeds of the flesh. And remember, if you are going to follow Christ, you follow him according to his word. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples, truly. There are many people who say, oh, Jesus is my shepherd. Jesus is my shepherd. But if some pastor, biblical pastor, brings the word of God to them, they rear up on their hind legs like a, a stubborn steed and rebel. No, let that not even be named among you. One day they will give an account to Christ for us all. Let us conduct ourselves and follow their example in such a way that they will be able to do that with joy and not with grief. And two, esteem them highly in respect and love. The Apostle Paul. First, you see, this is a lot of weight, isn't it? Don't forget point one and point two. It's a lot of weight. You, you, your mind, you should train yourself as you feel the weight of responsibility and obligation, right? It can get heavy. The bricks in your backpack. You have to remember point one and point two, what he gave you the great shepherd of the sheep, his love for your soul. Only when you are setting your mind on the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in his blood and receiving his love, will you really be empowered by the Spirit to carry that, to carry these, these obligations. Respect them. Respect them. In order to love, so in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. When talking to, to, to Keith and to Pastor Rick about all of the responsibilities that they have, I hope you're listening because you are to esteem them highly for their work's sake. If you are not considering the labor, the toil, Many people think that the work of an elder is easy. The work of an elder is impossible. It is absolutely impossible for a man to do. It is, it, the ability to be an elder, a faithful shepherd of God's flock, is not a fruit that grows on Adam's vine. It is something that comes from God. It's no easy work. And we should esteem them for that work. We're called, so there's, there, it's very interesting. To love and respect them in this way, we must know them. We must know them. He says, the, um, the elders among you, right? We ask you, brothers, to, to, to recognize among you, recognize those who labor among you and who are over you and who, ad, and who admonish you. In verse, in verse 12, to know them. Right? He says to, to recognize them. To know them is not simply to know about them intellectually, but to have some measure of personal relationship and experiential knowledge of who they are, what their struggles are, the difficulties, right? Their tendencies, what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, what they believe, what they think. 
We as members are called to pursue a meaningful acquaintance with those who have been called to shepherd us, not to be shy, not to be prideful or sheepish. Where this knowledge and love exist, there will be a high esteem for the pastor's thoughts and opinions. There will be an endeavor. So when I know what my pastor struggles with, when I understand the work that he has to do, what I should not do is, oh, no, I didn't want to bother you. You know, I thought, you're just so busy. I didn't want to bother you. No. What it should do is it should cause us to come to them and to encourage them and to serve them and to exhort them and to see how they are. Is that, you see what I'm saying? Pastors are not super Christians. They're not super Christians. We should care for them and encourage their souls. Right? Love does not know bounds and limits. Right? It's thoughtful. It's practical. And it's designed to bless. Right? It is often said that the work of a pastor is a thankless work. It should not be like that. It should not be like that. We can be very, very inward, self-focused. You know, we, come to, we come to serve and not to be served. We need to serve our pastors as well. Let us be resolved to do that. Three, let us give all diligence to attend their ministry. In other words, we owe to our pastors our presence in the midst of the assembly. When they gather the people of God to lead them in worship, we ought to be here. We ought to be here for Sunday school. We ought to be here for service. Whenever the church gathers, we really ought to be there. We we ought to give all diligence to attend their ministry. The pastors labor tirelessly to prepare their sermons and Sunday school lessons and their Bible studies, and it is a thoughtless and inconsiderate thing to treat this as worthless. How do you do that? By the unnecessary and unwarranted absence when they stand to minister to our souls. It should be conti- our attendance should be continual, not occasional. And our attendance should not merely be formal. What does that mean? You have not attended the ministry by just sitting in the seat. You attend the ministry from the heart. In the seat, from the heart. Okay? Now, I see ditches everywhere. You know, every time I take a step, there's a ditch on the right hand and the left hand. So you'll hear that. We should show up. We should be there as they preach and teach. We should be very, we should be very careful to come with our hearts engaged, with our hearts full of thankfulness, with humble, receiving, believing, and obedient hearts in the sight of God. Not just a formal routine and ritual but actually to have dealings with God in this place as they stand and preach and teach the word. It grieves the pastor with an unbearable pain at times to see so many seem to care so little about their labor and love for them. If the weather is bad or at the slightest headache or providential challenge, Many are ready at once to leave off their responsibility to be present. We owe to our pastors, we owe to the great shepherd of our sheep, uh, the great shepherd of the sheep, our presence and heart in this place when they stand to minister to God's people. And four, earnestly pray for them. Earnestly pray for them. You must remember that though they have been called to such an awesome task as it is to care for the church which is purchased with the precious blood of Christ, our pastors are insufficient, weak, needy men in and of themselves. And to add to this reality, it is often found true that their temptations are stronger, their discouragements deeper, their trials harder, their sufferings more bitter, and their toil more laborious than average the task that they have been called to is one which i've said it already no mortal man is sufficient for to preach the oracles of god to exercise the discipline of the church to preach and teach and to counsel to do real lasting good for the souls of men is beyond them 
This work calls for far more than their own gifts and abilities possess. They only will come about by the powerful working of God through His Holy Spirit. My brothers and sisters, our pastors' cares are for us. Their prayers are for us. Their tears will be shed for us. They will endure many trials on our account, have many things said against them for the name of Christ. There will, many, there will be those late nights, the sacrifices made for our own benefit. Let our prayers never cease to ascend to the throne of God on their behalf. To submit to and follow to esteem highly, to prioritize heart attendance, and to earnestly pray God has given us these duties and many, many more concerning our pastors. When our Savior ascended victorious into the heavens, he gave gifts to his bride. We may never fully repay the debt of love that we owe for his grace and his kindness to us who believe but we may endeavor to receive, cherish, and grow in gratitude for that which he has graciously bestowed. This we are called to by love and by grace to do. Let us never forget, so important, never forget point one and two. Let us never forget that we cannot be what we are called to be on our own. We ourselves need that grace from on high. Just as they need the grace from on high, we need that grace from on high to answer this solemn charge as members and to be faithful to those who the Lord has put over us in the church. Let us seek his face now for that grace. Oh, merciful and gracious Father, thank you, Lord, for our great shepherd, Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and his dying love for our souls. Please help us to set our mind upon him, upon his, his sacrifice, upon his sufficiency and his kindness toward us. Please let us always look at what you've called us to through the cross and through the clouds of glory. Lord, please help us to remember these truths, to hide them, to set them before us, to pull them out and to gaze and ponder upon them regularly, daily, hourly, and minute by minute. Help us to be faithful, what you've called us to be. In Christ's name, amen.